0: Have you quantified the impact? No, we have no idea. Like, okay, well, let's start there. You know, because you're listening as a consumer, you're listening to a lot of really well-designed marketing to get you to buy from an emotional
1: perspective. Yeah, so what's going on what's new uh
0: clouds are rolling in it has been nice the last four or five days like sunshine bright blue skies' beautiful and I mm. I, mean, I talked to people I had a call with some some guys down in miami this morning They're like oh the weather here's so beautiful I'm like man it's been beautiful here too it's like Blue skies. It's twenty eight degrees. Are like, twenty eight degrees? <laughs> you know, I, I think you and I have had the the yeah, temperature discussion, but like, yeah, like twenty eight degrees, like that, you can go out in shorts and a t shirt and it's fine. You know, it's when it gets windy and some moisture in the air, this dog's gonna bark at everything. Uh, that it that it gets it gets cold. But now I'm looking outside and it's cloudy. We're supposed to have five straight days of snow.
1: Oh, you can keep it out there. It, it's, it was nice yesterday. It's uh gray and overcast today. Mm. Um, even though it's gray and overcast, it was still nice. I went out for a walk about two hours ago, just took like a, a little loop around the neighborhood to get out of the house. And it was, it wasn't cold, but it was just that gray and overcast. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's what we're getting this afternoon. So, but we need the moisture, man. We haven't had, we've had maybe two s- snowstorms this entire winter. Okay. No snow on the ground, very little snow on the mountain. So we need some water. So and mm-hmm. can deal with a few days of snow. So that is it. I probably should take a walk out in the park. I, man, I don't. It's probably been a week since I've been outside wandering
1: around. Yeah. After, after we're done.
0: Parks and everything.
1: <laughs> yeah. After we wrap up this, you should go you know, take a walk and get
0: outside. Yeah. It's crazy how, like, we've talked about this, how the days just blend together. I'm like, has it really been, like, five or six days since I've left the house? I'm like, yeah, I think so. Like, I went grocery shopping on Sunday. That's the last time I went out. <laughs> so.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, they, they can easily blend together. Yeah, yeah. How about you? Ah, you know, things are good. Things are good. Um, the trip last week was great. It You know, it was, we, we talked about in the last episode just how, crazy things were toward the end of the year and I you know burned out. I felt so just like the extra time off, just really, it felt good. As we were yeah. driving home Sunday, I'm like, I'm ready to get back to work. I'm good now. That's
0: good. Yeah. I'm glad it was a good time. The videos looked amazing. looks like everyone had, uh, had a good time. So, so we had a blast. It was great. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Awesome. How was, how busy was the park?
1: Uh, Monday through Thursday, it wasn't that busy at all. Um, when I was just talking with Evan, I was telling him there were a couple of rides we walked right on, like literally right into the ride vehicle. That's how thin it was. Friday, it picked up uh, for, for the holiday weekend. You know, people taking long weekends. It was crowded. Oh, yeah.
0: Friday. Right, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Then, are, they, are they letting in people in full capacity or are they just assuming that people-
1: 35% capacity. Out. Okay. Yeah. No, they've okay. got it down to 35% capacity because that's how they- socially distance in the park and the lines. So not everything is open and the stuff that's closed, they're actually using that space to run the, the ah, I got you. Yeah. Got you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so some of the rides, like not all the restaurants are open. So what they do is they use like the, the restaurant space to, to run the line throw so they can keep the line spread out. Very interesting. So yeah. how do they, how do they manage
0: that? Is it a, a first come to you queue or do you have to buy tickets ahead of time to get in for certain dates?
1: You have to purchase tickets uh, ahead of time, and then when you you go in and you actually make a reservation for a park. So there's oh, a reservation system. Okay. So after we bought our tickets, we kind of planned in like, you know, what what days do we want to go where, and uh, looking at you know different park times, and then so we went in and reserved those. So yeah, there there's times, especially like leading up to Christmas, that you couldn't get into parks because Mm. they reached that 35% capacity right now with January 1st, you know, before January, you got one park one day and that was it starting January 1st after two o'clock, you could hop to a second park. Mm. So we took advantage.
0: Uh, there's four. Okay. You
1: know, for our listeners, um, I went to Walt Disney world last week. Um, so yeah, there's four parks. So, and we took advantage of it. You know, we get, we get to the park as it opened, got a bunch of stuff done and then would, um, you know, head to a second one for a couple of hours. And then right now everything is closing by seven or eight o'clock. So we would, um, you know, we get back to the hotel, baby would pass out pretty much as we got back, you know, we'd go to bed early. So then this way we were up early the next yeah,
0: day, you know, very cool.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that's how they do it is you have to reserve it. And then if they are honoring existing annual passes, but they're not selling any new ones right now. Mm. So there's depending upon your, you know, if you're staying at a Disney resort or not, you know, do you have, you know, a theme park ticket versus an annual pass? Like there's different blackouts and like, so like annual pass holders, they may not be able to reserve you know, a, an entry to one park, but those staying on, you know, at a Disney resort hotel can. Mm. Yeah. It's really interesting how
0: all of these different companies are adapting to deal with, you know, what they have to deal with. So I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's not ideal. And I saw another guy in my network that had just got back and didn't enjoy it. Didn't enjoy the time there at the park because, just said like having to wear masks and just the distancing just made it less enjoyable. And it's probably a personal choice on what you can enjoy and what you can and how you make use of the the time. But I mean, these, these uh, companies are doing what they have to do to try to adapt mm-hmm. to a very challenging situation.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there's trade-offs right now on that. And like, um, I've told a couple people like for me, like we're, we're that family that goes every 18 months to two years you know that that's one of our one of our vacation regular vacation spots um so and i try to say this without coming across as spoiled we will be back <laughs> right we we we
0: will i not we'll be going every year to be honest
1: well the, we actually the the, the last couple of years we have gone every every year we yeah. didn't go last year for for obvious reasons um but I, I don't want to sound spoiled, but you know, we'll be back. It's kind of one of our regular stops. Um, so for me, like the trade-offs of not everything is open, not all experiences are running right now. Um, certain limitations on, um, you know, the park hopping, like I'm the type of person, like in the past I've, I've hit all four parks in one day, you know, just for fun, you know, go hit a ride, go to a different park, hit a ride, like that kind of thing. Um, but for me, like seeing the low crowds, it was totally worth the trade-offs. And, I mean, as far as the masks go, I would not be comfortable wearing one in August in Florida. Yeah, like that's that, that's that. not That'd going be to be bad. comfortable to wear. Yeah. January, it's easy. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah. it, it was something, you know, it's just, it, I, I I know like just the way I am with the heat, wearing one in August is not going to be fun.
0: Whereas January
1: is much more doable. And that's where when I started seeing the pictures of the crowds in August and September and October, I'm like, we got to go. But let's go in January when when it's not going to be 90 degrees and 95 percent humidity.
0: Right. Right. Well, good call. I'm glad you guys had had a fun time.
1: But like, you know, it's like so like there have been a couple of people ask me, like, should we go right now? I'm like, well, it depends because I do. I have some friends that they want to go back, you know, take their kids. But they're not going to be going back for another five or six years after that. So I'm like, you've really got to think about it because you're not going to get everything there. But also with kind of talking to some of the folks down there, it may be two years before everything comes back. So you got to wait. I think they're, they're planning on um, certain attractions, not running for, for at least another year, just so they, they need that space to space the lines out. So So it may be something like that. So yeah, if you're waiting for everything to come back, you may, it may be two to three years. Whereas if you're like, Hey, I can make the trade off and maybe these things I would like to see, I, I can get away with not doing yeah. Go now because some days right now you're like the, uh, the safari at animal kingdom. We essentially had a private safari. We got there as the park opened, went right back there, walked right onto the ride. It was us and one other family. And that was it. It was essentially a private safari. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so theme park fun, you know, they're, they're, my, my wife keeps telling me, she's like, you got, you got to start a, a second podcast to talk about theme park stuff. Cause that, that, that's like my, my, my private passion. <laughs> I have a friend.
0: I have a friend whose wife like is a full-time blogger about Disneyland and like, mm-hmm helps people find deals and talks about the parks and like people
1: love that content so oh yeah there you go started started it up yeah i'm debating it um but let's jump over to the analytics piece so wondering how you're going to make a segue here i'm i'm struggling with this one. <laughs> um so you know our other passion analytics um I actually wanted to make a podcast out of a topic that we were talking about through the end of last year, into the beginning of, of this year. Um, it's, it's something we're he- starting to hear a lot about. And we had a really good conversation internally about it, um, right before the holidays. So I thought like, let, let's, let's actually talk about it. So I want to talk about, you know, you know, the so-called cookie less future. Everybody is talking about right now. You know, leading up to the end of last year, the, there was a lot of talk about the need for, you know, to move to server-side technology, how cookies are dying again. Um, and there's a lot of conversation, and there's a lot of push to move on it quickly. And to me, just in general, whenever there's like this push to move to something quickly, it's a red flag that, okay, this is actually something to slow down. Yeah. So, um, you know, you could say a lot of the... You know, a lot of the stuff that's being thrown around is, you know, the fear, uncertainty and doubt about having to adopt some kind of new technology or you're going to lose all your data right away. So, like, what is actually happening? Like, what, what, where is the industry moving and is it completely cookie less And, you know, do companies need to jump right now on things or is it safe to kind of wait and see, you know, wait and see things through?
0: Well, if history tells us anything about this, then um, we're, we're very early in, in the discussion and, and companies jumping at it right now, which perfectly fine. There are companies ready to make some, some moves, um, are very early adopters. And I think it's important to, to recognize that because when you hear from, again, you mentioned the uh, successful sales tactic of FUD, creating fear, you know, sowing uncertainty, creating doubt, it works. And um, if you, if you listen to those pitches, if, if you don't already have a strategy, and you're not moving towards it, the, the sky is going to fall on you next month. And so people are freaking out, but we know how slow these things move and we know it takes time. Um, so I, I think right now and what we're the, the stance we're taking with our clients is right now is a great opportunity to become informed and educated. Uh, You know, we don't need to be making drastic implementation decisions right now. We don't need to be going out and buying new technologies right now. Um, But something is happening. Things are changing. We've obviously seen this moving for several years, specifically with uh, with Apple um, and kind of locking down the browser with with ITP. So there's there's something there and this is happening, but it's not something that you know, we're advising our clients to panic and and make some rush decisions on, but better use this as an opportunity to get educated. So you can make smart decisions for your your company and you can also be in a better place to kind of reject getting pulled into that FUD cycle that if you're not getting hit up right now from a vendor with it, you will this quarter for sure. Um, if not this quarter next, like it's, it's happening, you know. People are, are definitely latching on to this because it's an unknown and it sounds really scary and you can sell software and services with that, that unknown. Pulling up my notes here to go through what we had talked through. You mentioned um, kind of cookie uh, I was on a call yesterday or yesterday or the day before with some friends from the UK and we were talking about this and they're like, you know, what's not cookie right? You know, cookies aren't going away, right? I'm like, I know. Um, but I think it's also important to um, use the term that unfortunately has been widely adopted, like globally. Um, you know, you can, you can walk into any number of different companies and say, you know, talk to me about cookie list and instantly they're like, Oh yeah, we're freaked out because blah, 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 you know? So it, it's, un- it's mm-hmm. an unfortunate name, but the branding has, has stuck. Um, and so cookie is kind of what it's, it's being, it's, it's being referred to, um, but it means so many different things to so many different people. Um, And what I've found is there's really kind of two different takes on it. You have um, what I would call the um, ad tech take. Um, So more of your, your ad buys and your marketing space and your marketing agencies have one take on it. Um, And then from our perspective, I think we have a a slightly different take and I've been calling that the kind of analytics personalization take. Um, And from the, the MarTech ad tech space, it really could be a death of a cookie for them. Uh, you know, what, what they're seeing is, and this has been like the slowest moving train wreck in history is the death of the third party cookie. Um, you know, this was a discussion. I remember being in, uh, in the early two thousands at Omniture when, um, when they were talking about the death of the cookie. And I I remember lots of folks in Omniture panicking saying, oh no, if the third party cookie goes away, we're dead. Like we're going to have to go get jobs somewhere else. What are we going to do? That was early 2000s. We're now 2021 or something, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So this has been happening for a while, but it looks like we're probably finally there with the third party cookie. Um, And the reason why the third party cookie has historically been so important is it gives you – a view outside of your domain, um, which has been traditionally very important for the ad tech space in that their, their purview, and if you've ever worked with an ad company, you know, And I say this with all love and respect for what they do, they are extremely greedy. They want to take credit for every conversion that could have ever possibly happened on your site. So. In order to do that, they want to report as high up in the funnel as possible. And that's what a third-party cookie allows you to do. You, you can see what is called a view through, through to click through, through to conversion. Meaning if you just viewed the ad with a third-party cookie implementation, you can, you can get metrics on that view. You can then tie it to a click, can then tie it to a purchase. But even if you don't, you have crafty agencies that are really good saying, well, even though they didn't click, they saw the ad. And that in some way influenced this purchase that we can tie it to their person with our third party cookie. And so we want some kind of credit. So with that going away, I think there really is some, some very real fear in the ad space um, about what are we going to do if we can't see view throughs to click throughs? Uh, That's Mm. a problem. Um, We've never really had that problem in analytics because it's never been something we've natively reported on Um, specifically because not because they couldn't, but I think a lot of the big players early in the space, Website Story, Adobe, Omniture at the time, Google, uh, made a decision that they weren't going to cross that kind of very uh, scary line to say, well, we can track you across the web, but we're not going to. Because if you remember back in the early days of, of analytics tracking, it was, it was what a lot of people really feared. And that was, well, what's stopping you to see, well, Jim went to Google, and then Jim went to Delta.com, and then Jim went to um, check out some blogs on the park, and then he went to the park's website. What's from stopping you from tying all that activity together? And that scared people. Um, And so from an analytics perspective, that was never really something we went down that path on because the vendors just didn't offer it. You know, we weren't analyzing that level of data. What we analyzed was once they landed on the site, what did they do? Um, And I want to say when I was at Omniture in the early days, I want to say our cookie was like eight years or something. I don't know. It it was something extremely long. Um, So as long as you're on the same device and you keep, you know, we know who you are for the next eight years. Uh, And then with browser regulations and tightening of the rules, that has slowly gone down to two years and then gone down to a year and the biggest challenge right now, I think with the the most recent ITP release, it's, it's something like seven days. It may be less. Um, and, mm-hmm. and,
1: and yeah, it, it, it's really short. I can't remember off the top it, of my it's, head.
0: It, it's short. And I think, you know, our challenge as analytics practitioners uh, is, is kind of twofold. One, that, that definitely now comes into real issue with attribution. So it, not only from external sources, so we can talk about, well, what ads or what external paid media brought you to the site, but even on site, you know, that starts to become a challenge of looking at, well, what's Jim's entire history with us on our site? Well, I don't know. He didn't come for eight days. And so we lost it all. Um, and so, you know, being able to piece that whole story together with a shrinking cookie is is a very, very real concern that's in play today. This isn't something that's coming. In the future, it's here today. That cookie lifetime is here today, and it's very challenging. Um, it's also challenging from a personalization and a testing perspective, again, for the same reason. If the goal is to build this uh, profile of Jim because you keep coming to the site and you're you know, querying different things, you're looking at different hotels to stay, you're looking at different park passes to buy, you're consuming different content, we can build a profile around that and now use our personalization platform to put a more curated experience in front of you. But if that cookie is only living a few days and you're not coming back to the site all that frequently, you're essentially a new visitor to us every time. So that becomes a real challenge to, to personalization teams to understand who you are and, and give you really personalized experiences on the site. So, again, these are very real challenges that are here today. Um, and that is the challenge. And I and maybe the fear is is that those are going to shrink even more. <laughs> Um, but that challenge is here today and it was here before today. Um, nothing new is changing necessarily tomorrow. So what does that mean? What should we do when, and what are the next steps? That's really where we're at right now.
1: Yeah. And it's funny how I kind of feel like it, 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 the conversation really came up fast in the second half of last year. And you're right. Like this is not anything, anything new, and, and for me, when I mentioned it toward the beginning is, is whenever you're getting like this rush to do something now, or you lose everything, it's a red flag that no, actually you should do the opposite. You should actually kind of sit back and to your point, educate yourself, you know, sit back and watch, um, how things develop. Yeah, because I don't think there's like a rush that you need to go out and get this done now. Because I I think like, I think of the phrase only fools rush in.
0: Only Yeah, it's so true. And it, you know, I had a conversation with one of our clients a couple weeks ago where they reached out and said, hey, we have one of our, our media agencies really pushing hard for us to invest in kind of a new technology and changing the way we do things. And they're really pushing to get it done this quarter. What do you think? I'm like, whoa, like pump the brakes. Have you quantified the impact? No, we have no idea. I'm like, okay, well, let's start there. You know, cause you're listening as a consumer, you're listening to a lot of really well-designed marketing to get you to buy from an emotional perspective.
1: But fear will make people do a lot it, of stuff. It really does.
0: And, and anxiety and doubt like it. And that's why that the FUD model works for so many different sales approaches. Um, you, you got to just learn to turn it off. Did I tell you about the story about uh, buying a piano? I believe you did. So if, if it's a rehash, I won't rehash it. But I, I discovered early on that I hated the FUD model. And to me, the value of making an informed decision um, had a financial component to it, where I was willing to pay a higher price for the luxury of having the time to inform myself on a decision. But most people, they don't realize that it's being used as a tactic. And in this story, I went in to buy a piano. And of course, the one I wanted, it was on sale that day. And the sale ended in like three hours. Like we can't extend it on. You know, it just just so happened to be that piano, that one specific piano. But the sale's ending in like three hours. So like I'll walk across the street and pay more for the same piano not to be pushed and hassled. You know, yeah, I do remember so, that story now. Uh, so, But that's what's happening right now, right, is that they're using that, that fear and uncertainty to put a timer on the clock and say, sky's going to fall and as soon as that timer hits zero, so we better do something about it. And lots and lots of companies buy services, buy software, because of that fear, and it's just not a smart approach. So if nothing else that we talk about in this podcast, you take away that. Anytime that approach comes to you, it should be a warning sign in your head, lights and sirens going off, a huge stop sign being put up for you to say, stop. This might be really, really important, and I'm going to use this opportunity to really think through what is best for me and, and my company, um, and not get sucked into that, well, I got to do something right now because of this this fear. So but it's happening and I'm seeing it and I'm not going to, I'm not going to name names, but I sat in on a conversation with the agency and a um, massive social media platform that lots of companies spent billions of dollars on. And um, they were pitching really, really hard that all of their clients needed to go to a server side implementation that was going to solve everything. And, um, which I agree, if they have it figured out, it will solve a lot of problems. I, 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 I saw their diagrams and I, I piped up. I tried to remain quiet, but eventually I said, Well, wait a minute. I, it looks like you're setting a cookie still. <laughs> they're like, Oh, well, yeah, yeah, you still have to set a cookie for this to work. I'm like, So what are we talking about here, man? And they're like, Well, but in, this is laying the groundwork for the future. So once we are ready to flip the switch on full server side, it's already in place, but it's not quite there today. Um, but the more interesting part of that discussion was they had some really, really scary facts. Something like, you know, you're losing visibility into 85% of your paid media traffic. You have no idea what they're doing. That's, ooh, it's scary. It's this huge loss and 85%, 85%, do you want to lose that much? And, and I didn't say anything on the call, but I went back to... The client, actually, I did say something at the end of the call. I said, is that 85% for this company? No, no, no. That's just a general figure that we we are guessing that the average customer on our platform will face. I'm like, I see. Interesting. So mm-hmm. after the call, I went back to the company and said, have you validated and quantified that impact for yourself? And they, they said no. I'm like, so fine don't, don't get freaked out by 85% loss because that may be an entirely, completely made up number. so that may be one company that's seeing that and they're using it for their marketing material, go and, and quantify the impact. So I came up with three things that I'm talking with every company about that wants to listen, that is being hit up with, with these cookie list discussions, quantify the impact first. So From an analytics perspective, what's the impact to a seven-day window? Because to uh, a B2B that's selling $600,000 widgets, it's going to be a massive impact because people aren't coming back around to the site every day. For Amazon, it's probably not an issue. For Netflix, it's probably not an issue. For major retailers, it's probably not an issue. For media companies, it's probably not an issue because these are companies that see very short, return windows, you know, multiple times a day, even. So, you know, that seven day window isn't a problem because the cookie's constantly being reset. But if you're a company that's, you know, you only come once a month, yeah, it might be a big problem. Think about that. Let's have that discussion. What's the impact? Uh, number two, from an ad tech perspective, um, what, what is the challenge of, um, the view through? So, what, what kind of discussions are you having with your ad vendors? How were they getting paid before? And that's that's also my number three is, how does this impact how you're paying your media partners today? And I don't necessarily think that this is a bad thing. And by that, I mean, maybe it's time we reevaluate how we're paying our our media buyers. Are we, are we paying our media buyers more than they are responsible for generating for us? Um, should they be getting everything from view through all the way down? Maybe, but I don't know. Um, it's, it's now time to evaluate. And again, there's probably lots and lots of questions you should be um, you should be asking yourself. But the biggest thing is put up the stop sign. Think about what does this mean to be in this quote cookie less world? We're already there. What is the impact to us? Mm -hmm. And until we can answer that we shouldn't be buying any software or any services.
1: Yep. And, and, and to that, you know, as part of the, the rush and, the, um, the the fear-mongering going on, I, I kind of see the the very real potential that walled gardens are going to be created. It, it's a way of pushing people into a company's full stack. Well, if you want to use this service and this service, you've got to also buy these other things to all make it work. That's right. And that's, that's Google's approach. Um,
0: mm-hmm. And I think that this has been a very, very well... Um, well-designed campaign from, from Google. Um, in fact, if you, it, this was what, a month ago when the lawsuit against Google came out from the like 26 states attorneys generals about um, antitrust um, mm-hmm. against Google, the filing was something like 120 pages. There was a guy on, on Twitter that had a like 30 tweet thread that really boiled it down but it was that it was it in that filing it, it looked very, very clear that Google was trying to create a walled garden and man, it makes sense for them because they own the search space. Now, Mm -hmm. if I can own this, if I can own the search platform, if I can own the bids, if I can own the fulfillment and Oh, by the way, it happens on my browser. And by the way, if you want to report on it, you have to use our analytics package. You really, you really bottle, uh, paint, you paint companies into a corner that it's like, it's very compelling. And, and we've seen that pitch. Um, we've seen that pitch already happening. And you may have seen some of my posts on, on social media, where I was kind of taking agencies to task for selling what's best for them and not necessarily what's best for the client. Uh, we're, we're only a few weeks into 2021. And I've already seen two pitches to two different companies by agencies um, pitching, a full migration to a 100% Google Cloud Platform. Um, and let me be the first to say that may absolutely be right for a specific company or for even one of these companies. But until we evaluate that, we don't know. My, my concern is the vast majority of the people of the agencies in this ecosystem have a reseller agreement with the big players and and they 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 don't call it reseller a lot they call it by a much softer name a partner this is our Mm -hmm. partner network it's not a partner it is a reseller um whether it's adobe or google or anyone else in between they call it partner program they want to say that we're we're friendly with our partners we have these strong partner programs it's all bs they they don't want partners they want an extension of their sales team and they want to cultivate partners as resellers that are going to go out into the field and strongly sell their, their platforms. And, and that's what we're seeing in a lot of these cases is these agencies are going in there. You can see that they've been given marketing material by the vendor to undermine the other side, whether it's Adobe attacking Google or Google attacking Adobe. And I'm just using those two bit vendors because they're kind of the giants in the space, but the others are doing it as well. And it's, it's disheartening, you know, and, and not only is it disheartening, it's, it's bald face, flat out lies. And it really, really upsets me. And I find it really difficult where I find myself on email threads or in meetings to bite my tongue. I'll give you one example. Media partner, also a Google reseller, um, pitching to one of our clients that is an Adobe shop that they need to go all in on the Google ecosystem for exactly what we've talked about. If you want to address a cookie-less world, um, the only way to do that is to go all in on Google. And again, that may be a perfectly valid solution for for our client to evaluate. However, if you read the pitch deck that this agency put in place, it was filled with just absolute lies. Lie number one, front page. Adobe Analytics is the hardest, most difficult implementation. It costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to implement. It takes it takes at least six months. Uh, Google five minutes. It's one tag. I'm like, what kind of bullshit is this? Like, they're the exact same. Realistically, you can install Adobe as one tag in five minutes. It's all depending on what you want to get out of the implementation and you can make an extremely complicated, robust Google implementation that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to implement, takes months to implement. But again, that doesn't sell software that doesn't sell services. So they're, they're lying about that. They're lying about the um, capabilities and on down the list. And I think I noted five or six, like just absolute lies that could be easily retorted um, in the deck, but to most companies and to to our to our client, they heard that and they'd never called it out because they hadn't thought about it. They're like, well, if they're saying this is what it is, it must be what it is. I like, mean, no, this isn't what it is. You know, they're absolutely lying to you. They're lying to you because they have a vested interest in selling you Google because they're going to get paid more money. They can sell you more services and they're going to get a kickback from Google for selling their platform. And it's just really disappointing um, that agencies are, are doing this. It it makes our job a lot more difficult because mm-hmm. so many companies out there have such horrible experiences with consulting. And this is why, and then we come around and we say, well, we're different. And I like, you yeah, know, right. You know, you guys all suck.
1: Well, you made me think of something. Uh, so 10 years ago or so, I interviewed with this, this one agency. And it was when, you know, it, it was when tag managers were really starting to to hit, hit the ground running. It was, Right before GTM, but you you had several in, in the market. And um, when I went in for the interview, they're asking, Well, do you have experience with this tag manager? I'm like, no, oh, no, not that one, but I've worked with these other two. And the concept is similar, right? Learning the UI is nothing. The concept it's understanding the concept and how to actually architect a solution using a tag manager. Well, needless to say, I didn't get the job. And I come to find out later while they were so adamant about experience with that one tag manager, they had a similar kind of relationship with the tag manager vendor, tag management vendor, the TMS vendor. And, you know, the, the more I kind of, you know, found out like, you know, every time they would go in to do a TMS evaluation, this one vendor always came back as the, the recommended vendor that have the, the functionality that the client needed.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's so frustrating. I don't know how you, I don't know how you stop that and I don't know what you do, but hopefully there are other voices of reason out there that, that try to keep things in balance and in check. And that's kind of what I, we've positioned our role as being right. Is that we may, we may make less revenue, um, but we're going to do it the right way. We're going to do it the ethical way. And hopefully, you know, that's our role in the world to play that, that counterbalance to, this whole argument so we could probably have a whole podcast on agency setups and what's right and what's wrong and you know you've been in the space you've had lots of experience and we could probably talk about that for for hours um
1: yeah but- i you made me think of something else too like you know you're talking about like you know the the, the reseller agreements pitched as, as partnerships yeah the other one um yeah I, I a guy i worked with years ago called them um Barney partnerships. I love you. You love me. <laughs> like you know, that. you just kind of like all share the love, and hopefully, you're just try- what well, you're just trying to do is share client base.
0: Yeah, I, I used to call them paper partnerships, um, mm-hmm. where you know companies would come to me and they said, "Hey, we want to we want to talk to you about a partnership." I said for before we go any further, I'm not interested in a paper partnership. i like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, where we sign your paper and you sign ours, then we put our logos on each other's site and say, we're friends. And then you're going to be friends with us more. If we sell more of your products, I'm like, I'm not interested in that. A partnership is about investing in each other and, and helping each other grow and making what it is you're jointly doing better. And I've constantly gone back to the companies we've worked with. And I've had these conversations with Adobe. I've had these conversations with Google Um, and I've had these conversations with Optimizely and and a few, a handful of other companies where I said, you know, I, I get it. We're, we're a small shop. And when you look at your sales readout every quarter, 33 sticks is probably on page 87, you know, Accenture and Sapient and Razorfish and whatever, fill in the blank EY, they're going to dominate the first page. And your second page is going to be your middle tier clients that are, bought in at your premium level and have built out a sales arm to be an extension of your sales team. I get that that's a value, but you also need to look at another opportunity to partner with people that are truly invested in making your company and your partners better. And I feel like that is what we do. If we're engaged with an Adobe partner, we're making them better. We're making that partner more referenceable. They're going to buy more Adobe products. They're going to have a longer lifetime value. They're going to be happier with the product. They're going to get more value out of the product. Uh, When we work with Adobe to provide feedback and direction on what's working and what's not working, we're helping refine their processes. The people on the ground get it and appreciate it. And I think that's what helps keep us going. But from a company to company perspective, Adobe doesn't give a crap about 33 sticks and rightfully so, because we don't generate any money for them according to their sales spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's yeah. the frustrating things because I think there's, there's so much value there to having a real partnership, but in, in the short term, what did you do for me this quarter basis? I understand that it's hard to quantify that in dollars and that's what, that's what fuels these, these programs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and honestly, you know, you asked the question, like, what, what could you do? What, what could be done? I, I don't know. I think as long as everybody's making money, it's it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah. You know, the only thing is, is maybe try to plant the seeds with some folks that eventually will bear some kind of fruit that because right now this is this is the major rush to do something right now. You know the cookieless future is, and when I say that, and it's going to be the title of this episode, I'm doing with quotes, because you know it is because we both know it's not really cookieless. But like what everyone's screaming about with the the so-called cookieless future that's coming, to your point, it's used to to sell software. Nine months from now, twelve months from now, there's going to be some other kind of technology yeah. boogeyman that's coming
0: and it's and it's sad because um it it creates this landscape where we're in where it's almost like we're operating in a garbage dump a junkyard you know there's just so much refuge all around us and it's because of this and again let me be very clear it, there is something here you know there's something here that needs to be addressed but buying into fear and just buying more stuff now is only adding to the problem. And the bigger picture that you point out is is absolutely spot on. Um, and it's, it saddens me, but it's the world we live in that we're a quarter by quarter driven world. And these companies know it. Um, these big companies like Adobe and Google, they arm their partners with marketing. You can go to their partner portal and download all the marketing slicks that show you how to sew FUD and go in there and say, oh, cookie world, ah! How do you solve it here by this? you know, Mm -hmm. and and it drives quarterly sales. And that's what's important. Um, We need more people to think more sustainable and more long term. And, you know, we recently did a redo of our website. um, And that was a big focus for us is we want to we want to be the voice of sustainability. Uh, There's a lot of waste, there's too much waste, and there's too much promise going left unfulfilled because of it. And we see taking a more sustainable approach as the way to get there. And it's, it's everything it's, it's how you build your analytics programs. It's how you think about your partner programs. It's how you think about running your business quarter to quarter is not a sustainable model. It sustains the entity, but the people inside of it, you're killing them. It's just Mm. not a good way to live and do business. And so, you know, it's something that we're wholly bought into and, and are really pushing this year. And, This is a great example of it. You know, jumping in to Q1 2021 FUD about a cookie-less world isn't a sustainable approach. Jumping in and seeing all the conversations and saying, there's something here, we need to become educated and think about the solutions that are going to be out there and how we want to adopt them. That's what smart companies are doing right now. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm sure all of our partner networks that we're loosely associated to are pissed off if they're going to hear this. They're like, Jason, what are you doing? Like, we need them to buy our identity solution. We need them to go all in on, you know, the Google platform. Like, you know, you need them to choose what's best for them. And ultimately you have to have the, the, the vision that that's ultimately going to drive you the most revenue as well.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yep. I couldn't put it any better myself. Awesome. So- well, hopefully, sure.
0: hopefully this was helpful. I mean, we could go down into lots of details, but again, I think the biggest takeaway from from this episode is this is real. There's something happening. Educate yourself. What is it? What is the impact to us? What are the potential solutions? Quantify the impact and let's make a game plan. But number one, put up a stop sign and we're not buying software. We're not buying services right now because mm-hmm. we need to understand what the impact is before we do
1: yeah, you're not going to lose your data next week, next no. month, or next quarter. No. Nope. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's a good spot to, to, to wrap for, for today. I agree. Good conversation. Right. Yep. Cool. Well, thank you much. All right. Yeah, and thank you. We will catch everybody later. Yes.